0: Uh, But to learn to run faster, you have to know what it means to learn. And most of us don't really know that, in my estimation. So, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with culture, again, in the way that we're educated and often pushed. The model that I see and have seen for some decades is there's some ideal Format some ideal form and you're supposed to try to match that form Well, that brings up a few problems. One is it ideal for you individually and then two is even if it is How are you going to match that ideal and the way that we're? Acculturated and often coached is that we try to imitate the ideal But you can't really imitate what you don't understand don't know don't have an awareness of in your own body.
1: That was Edward You, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but simply faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology from force plates to timing systems, to muscle simulators and more. Some products of simply faster that I use and love include things like the FreeLab timing system and K box or coaches favorites, such as gym aware. Recently, simply faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the muscle lab contact grid which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of, collecting, of data collecting strips, the contact grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an i faster.com. Welcome to another show. It's good to have you all here. So the acquisition of sporting technique and skills is really important. Uh, Technique is what defines elite competitors. Uh, strength and force output is good, you need to have it. But at the end of the day, uh, the most elite athletes will are, are technically separated. And so it's an important topic. And really, overcoaching is something that uh, runs pretty rampant in our uh, sporting society. Uh, athletes who are really kind of turned into robots from a young age with a, a, a restrictive model of this is the only way to do this skill imposed on them. And we know that the human body is more complex than that. We all have our own unique limb lengths and fast-twitch fiber ratios and elastic-to-muscle ratios and and foot foot lengths and sizes and, and just tons of different factors. Uh, again, I do believe in... Um, And I do believe there are certainly elements of good technique, no doubt. But the question is, is how do you get to your own best technique uh, with respect to obviously what is seen in high performers? And so that's what this show is all about today. That's some questions we're going to look at. Um, My guest is Edward Yu. Edward is a Feldenkrais practitioner and human movement specialist. He's a former triathlete, a martial arts enthusiast, and a perennial student in the art of bagua. Edward Edward's interest has been how people learn and process information and that's led him to mix the fields of sports, martial arts, dance, psychology, cognitive science, and many more into his own frame of human movement. Um, Edward is also Edward is also the author of the book Slowing Down to Run Faster which I read and found really intriguing. And it just jived with a lot of thoughts I've had on how do we get athletes to achieve their own optimal technique, as well as taught me a lot of new ideas and had a lot of really interesting exercises and methods and sensory awareness techniques to help athletes get a better feeling of their body and to be able to then take that into running. Uh, Edward is a guy who really has blended a lot of ideas into the art of human movement. And so today's podcast is all about exploring human movement and sport technique from a wider lens. On the show, Edward and I are going to cover many aspects of um, particularly uh, uh, that are really particularly human when it comes to movement, such as over trying and overthinking, self sabotage, motivation. He's also going to get into his ideas on the sensory and motor development of humans, uh, how we develop as a young age, and how that impacts us later on in life. And then he's also going to get into uh, understanding how we can better utilize our sensory systems and our sensory apparatus to help us uh, be more efficient and effortless in our movements and to help us uh, obtain a technique uh, in this one we talk about running a lot but a sport technique that is really uniquely our own that does check off those those models of what good performers do but also fits with what we have as our as humans in our own human body and how we are designed so This was a really informational show with a lot of really great ideas. It's one that's really going to get you thinking. And I'm excited to get it going, excited to bring this one to you. So uh, let's get on to episode 207 here with Edward Yu. Edward, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you here today.
0: I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm thankful that you're working through some of these little sound difficulties, which was all my fault. It's always that little button that you... Uh, didn't necessarily find until the last minute, but I'm glad we could finally do this. And I, you know, there's a lot of questions that I'm really excited to ask you and things to get into. Uh, I'll start with just a simple one though: is you know, all of us, regardless of you know where you are in the sport or athletic field, have probably watched that that local city half marathon or whatever, and you see the vast majority of people are just shuffling. You know, they're not looking like they they enjoy it; they're just shuffling through it uh, instead of running. And so, why is that? Like, why why is so many people really kind of lacking the joy of of actually running versus kind of a shuffling plot
0: i think uh, a lot of people shuffle because that's how they run so for them running is shuffling they don't have embodied in themselves the mechanics for uh, what might be considered good running form so it's um it's how it's what they know another reason is maybe they don't want to be running and I think that's pretty common, and often they go together. There's the biomechanical element, element, which makes it not very fun. If you're not very efficient, you don't feel powerful. You're not going to enjoy it very much, and then you have to force yourself to do it. Um, now, if it comes to a race, I think it's legitimate for people to have grim expressions because they're <laughs> usually, if you're racing, you're pretty serious. I, I don't see a lot of even world-class athletes smiling when they're on the track, um, but, but they're probably, you know, or they may be enjoying it at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, I hear
0: you with that. So, so making a short answer long, it's, uh, I think, a combination of um, mechanics and psychology and, and maybe maybe both mixed together.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually the next question I had is I, I want to get into the psychology of it because that to me, I think that if there's all these layers of athlete and the human being i think the one we often miss so often is how does someone's psychology make up their technique and what you're getting what they're outputting and how they're outputting it in their practice on a daily basis Uh, what what got you into running like being interested in in running particularly and, and and what's your athletic background
0: um i did a lot of sports i was pretty mediocre at everything that i did I was terrible at baseball. I was afraid of the baseball, um, but I started running, I guess long what's considered long middle long distance when I was about 11 or 12, um, just because I was fairly good at it. And I think I was fairly good at it because I had some modicum of willpower, but that's not later. I realized it's not always often. Actually, it's not a good reason to do something. Um, a better reason is to do something because you like it, because you're interested, because you have some curiosity in, in the subject. And I, I didn't really like running. So I slogged through, um, you know, four years of high school and I did about a year of triathloning afterwards. And and then I discovered basketball and tennis and, uh, and I stopped running. Later, um once I discovered martial arts and I I quit basketball and tennis and now I'm kind of returning to experimenting with running, but that's, this is over 30 years, 35 years since I've
1: been a competitive runner. Yeah. I, I'll be the first to admit that I don't have any experience. Sadly, I hope to change that in the martial arts because I've always, I'm so interested in the elements that the martial arts bring to athletics as a, as a whole. Like if you I feel like I I don't know if I've actually drawn this out but I have this picture in my mind of all these things that if you drew in all these circles of these qualities and that that really filter down into the, the athlete and the sport I think that you know the tip. We, we, you would have the typical training things you have you know strength training you know dynamic training nutrition and recovery and sleep and like but the but the martial arts I it offered like the quality of movement. Uh, just from my understanding, I've read um, the Principles of Effortless Power by Peter Ralston, and I, I just think that there's there's so much to offer. But when I say read, by the way, with that book, I, I read the words on the pages, but I, to to actually go through and understand, I feel like I would actually have to have him teach me. <laughs> um, but I think that there's so much that that has to to offer, and so I'm excited to kind of to get your take on. Like you said, you ran. And then you went through, you know, basketball and tennis and then martial arts and then back. It's almost like, I'm sure it was like re, you're learning it again for the first time probably in many ways after going through that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of playing around with it. And even when I was, uh, I've been doing martial arts, I guess, I don't know, 25 years roughly. Um, even when doing those, I would have to get to the place where I train and sometimes I would run there or I run back or and it, the running part was not just for transportation. I would I would, experiment with it, and I'm continuing that experiment. But it's not something I ever did when I was a runner, or I considered myself a runner. I didn't experiment. It was just getting in the times, getting in the miles. The coach would stand with a stopwatch, and if you didn't make it in a certain time, you had to do it again, you know. Um, so there was... There was there's actually a term you just used, quality of movement, which is really important, and it was never mentioned when I was an ath- uh, a runner or a basketball player or a tennis player. But um, it's what's crucial to being a good runner. It's the quality of movement, and something that I think is really, if it's addressed at all, it's given only lip service to.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that is so present on. However many, like individual sports running programs, a lot of swimming programs, these athletes are just, you know, here's the, here's the mileage, here's the yardage, here's X, Y, Z, just go do it. And I think that there's always going to be athletes who just get it naturally, who are just not, you know, these are the ones who are highly successful, the ones who we watch and they're just effortlessly going by and, and they get it. But there's so many athletes too, who there's just things they're totally unaware of that are never addressed and uh i want to i'll ask a follow-up based off something that you mentioned you know we talked about um people's psychology and and i'm glad you mentioned it too yeah it is when you are competing i mean yeah like you watch the people in the um in the olympics and there is you know they're trying hard and you know there there's effort and it's not like they're not smiling the whole way for sure and I, i think maybe sometimes i i try to pin oh well exercise and running should be joyful and even if you're running a Five k or a half marathon. I'm glad you did mention that. Uh, but what I did want to ask is people who try uh, too hard, like over effort, because I think we all um, we all have seen those athletes and those people who, when everything they do, and I've had plenty of athletes I've worked with like this, where it's just like written on their face, like it's just everything is is so hard, and they're they have to like muster up all this extra willpower for every single thing they do. And so what's your take on the line between putting effort in like, like, okay, I'm going to, I, it is my intention to do well in this. And then, uh, too much, like, like just trying too much. What's, what's the line there and what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I've been trying to figure that out for a few decades. (laughs) Um, I don't have a clear idea other than that we have to tune into ourselves at every moment and make a decision. And I think we have to ask ourselves, and I don't think we often do. At least our culture is teaching us not to. Um, and certainly when I was competing, I, I, I didn't ask myself. So uh, we have a, a culture that's really heavy-handed with using willpower and discipline and pushing and trying to get results. Um, so in a way, to... To deal with this issue of willpower and going say too far, we have to start to be countercultural now that might end up meaning that we don't win the race or that you're not you know the <clears throat> heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, but maybe that's okay
1: yeah could you could you expand a little bit more on that like the being countercultural and because to me it's it I mean I feel like if you're going to be in something, I mean, I've always heard if you are going to do something, you should try to be the best or try to win it. But that's all relative a little bit, isn't it? You know, it's relative to your own ability and others' abilities and things like that. Uh, could you expand on that last thought a little bit?
0: Yeah. Um, I think culturally, we have icons and there are the ones we see on TV or in magazines. They're the champions, uh, what we don't see is what they went through to get there. And there may be some level of neurosis there. There might be some level of child abuse involved, you know, when they were kids. We don't really know. I, with, I, I'm saying child abuse because, or abuse in general because I've been in boxing recently. And a lot of the champions suffered a lot emotionally. Um, so – it's, I can't really give you a good answer other than what does it mean to, to learn? What is it, why am I doing this? Um, what's the purpose of all of this? These are questions I think we should be asking ourselves. And if I'm not interested in what I'm doing, then why am I not doing something else? Now, sometimes we don't have a choice and we have to do it and then i i have to play with my own psychology of how do i get through this this thing that i don't like or can i make it something into something that i do like and that's that's a that's another question
1: yeah I, I i i mean i'm like like you said when you first started answering the question i think it's really a very complex answer and i think it you know it takes a lot of humility but also in just saying i don't you know to know exactly where where each individual is coming from from that I, I know that something that I've thought about, or at least I've seen is, and I know we've talked about this beforehand, but the idea that athletes whose parents, either like, were, drove them really hard, or the parent was very successful, and I I tend to see more of that, I guess you can call it, quote you know, whatever the cultural, like, you know, thing is for it, like the try hard, you know, that, that if you had that, that was the term, I, I feel like I, I see that the most in uh, particularly, or I have, and particularly males whose fathers have been highly, highly, highly successful. And it's almost like they have to make their dad happy or, you know, and then, and then they're, everything they do is just, you can see it right on their face. It's just, it's this tense, like everything is just like, you know, and I want to make sure I tried hard enough. And so I, I, I know, you know, and I'm no psychologist, you know, I, I but it's just it, you know it's interesting to start to see those connections and so I I think like well what would be the optimal you know I, I can't explain every situation but what's optimal and I think about I don't know like you think of maybe an elite athlete who's really working hard but also but then when they it comes time to play they they can have fun and like I guess I think about like Steph Curry like just playing around in warm-ups you know trying new shots and just having fun and and That always being, you know, like being in the moment of always just, just doing the thing for what it's, for what it is and not trying to make anyone happy or, you know, not trying to do it to please mom and dad or whatever you have left over in that from your childhood. I don't know, just this kicking thoughts around, but I think that, yeah, just learning to be in the moment and enjoy what you're doing for what it is, whether it's a game or training or anything else. I, I think that's important. Probably doesn't explain the line. You know for everybody and trying too hard and whatever but uh, interesting <laughs> just the thought I had uh, I, feel-
0: I, I think it's I, I unfortunately I'm, I'm not giving you much of an answer because I don't know myself I, I think um, it, I think it goes back to something very cultural that for me is too heavy on one side it's it's too emphatic on success, and, and culturally defined success. And I think that bears uh, looking into. I think that if we look at the individual without looking into culture, political economy, we're missing a lot. Um, you have to look at both together. Otherwise, you end up doing what we do to people who are not successful or maybe unemployed or overweight we we look at them and culturally we judge them our culture judges them and we by default unconsciously will judge them as well for what our culture has um in a sense created that's that's another sort of long discussion because uh if obesity i'm, I'm going off on a
1: that's a, good, tangent here, a but if
0: obesity is is rampant and you know, we have a food industry, we have agribusiness that's sort of encouraging us to to consume certain things that make us sick. And sh- the majority of people are overweight. Does that mean that the majority of people are, there's a problem with them? Or does it mean that there's something wrong with our political economy and our culture?
1: Yeah, super complex systems. I, it does, what you're saying, though, makes me, I would be really interested to you know, maybe someday just to go check out different cultures and then see how the, the, the the youth sport culture building on up is kind of the product of that, you know? And I think that, yeah, yeah, it's a really complex system. I'm very, it's really interesting. And you know, that, that whole idea too is probably worth a podcast in and of itself. But I, I feel like I have a lot more years of experience before I could really be a good host on that one. Uh, But super interesting stuff. And I, I definitely hope to look more into that as my years go on. I, I did want to ask you too, and this is probably similar, um, you know, and I, I don't know if this is a big, I'm sure it is in the Feldenkrais world, which I know obviously you are, um, you know, have huge experience in, but how and why do we as human beings tend to self-sabotage our movement ver- versus, you know, you watch an animal run or a child move and it's, you know, I, we would say that those movements are a lot more pure and then you look at a, the full-grown adult and something you're like man what happened <laughs> what happened along the line why do we um how and why do we start self-sabotaging our movement over time as we grow into adulthood
0: uh it depends on the culture you're in i mean there are cultures where people move really well and there are cultures where i think they don't move so well that would i would say our culture doesn't move so well Uh, Children are good at certain things, a lot of children, but I think that's actually declining now if you look um, at how they move. And that's – I can conjecture that that's largely due to the liquid crystal display monitors that are everywhere, the the phones, the tablets, the, the flat screen TVs and so on. Um, and what that encourages in people, which is basically staring at something while you're sitting down. Um, but animals is another issue as well. They, they are not as, um, how shall I say, their, their capacity to learn is not as extraordinary as humans. And so we have the greatest capacity to learn, which means w- there are many more pitfalls in the way to getting to where we want to go. For, for uh, other mammals, they a lot of what they're going to do as an adult mammal is already hardwired. They have to learn some, but not nearly as much as a human. So just for a human to reach what's called a mature gait takes about four to seven years. That's a long time, you know. Uh, if... Um, if a, a horse was just born, say you have a foal that just came out, it, it might be able to run on the same day, so that, which is pretty extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But that's because it's already hardwired in the brain. So the self-sabotage in our culture is, has a lot to do with habits. And where do the habits come from? One of them is the chair. If you just remove the chair, you, you really gain a lot of advantages, there are other things like uh, we no longer walk place to places. We don't ride bicycles. We we drive cars. Now we don't go anywhere. Actually, we're, we're in pandemic, <laughs> yeah. so we stay at home. <laughs> so it's even worse. But so there there are a lot of cultural things in place uh, in, in modern culture that prevent us from doing things that you know humans did for eons before. For example, the chair arrived.
1: Yeah. The, the screen in the chair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Compared to, yeah. I mean, you look at like an indigenous culture, I guess the epitome of a good mover might be like an indigenous, you know, society, right. Where you just, the kids grew up just moving and playing. And I was just listening to a podcast that we were talking about uh, like a five year old needs to do however many thousands of movements a day to optimally develop. And, and, you know, in the modern society with screens and sitting in class, you know, for eight hours a day and all these things, it's, it's, it takes a toll on those movements and i um uh, i was curious too you know uh, well also uh, before i have my follow up question you would said something was interesting Is we cuz this is something i think maybe i take for granted maybe i'm a little bit of a pessimist with like humans versus you know animals you watch like the tiger jump like 6 feet in the air to grab a you know piece of steak or something or the bobcat jump i mean it's just unbelievable the precision but at the same time the to me those are much more innate movements versus I mean, I don't know, like you can teach a dog to kind of ride a skateboard and it looks funny on YouTube, but you're not, I I mean, could you teach a monkey to do a a 360 on a snowboard? Like, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think you, like you're saying, like it's almost as if, or to, or to throw a javelin 300 feet. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I I mean, you see some of the things that humans are capable of in extreme sports and it's mind blowing. And, and I also love all the stuff that kind of goes, goes into that, like the skill, like this, how, uh. You know, a 10-year-old is doing now what was considered incredible, a world-class by, you know, 15, 20 years ago in some of these things. And so is that kind of what you mean by by we have a higher movement potential than than animals do?
0: Um, yeah, I would use different words, but we, we learn. We have to learn everything. There's a, We're born with one reflex. It's a startle reflex, which we share all the way down the evolutionary scale with other mammals other than the 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 sternal reflex, we're gonna to have to learn. Even to lift your head, an infant has to learn how to lift its head. So uh, when we're if we have to learn all these even the most fundamental movements, that means that if we don't learn something along the way, it's it will affect everything else. All right. So if it doesn't happen especially if it, it's in childhood, if it if something doesn't happen in childhood, it's not learned or it's not learned well, it's going to affect all more uh, advanced movements, advanced in quotes, or all more um, a directed movement in the future. And if we don't direct, if we don't um, go back and, and try to learn those fundaments, there will always be some kind of defect in the movement in the future. And I, I, I'm using these words uh, not very well. I, I shouldn't say defective, but they won't be as efficient. Mm-hmm. as they could be
1: yeah i've i've so had, the, oh, sorry go ahead
0: so the fundamental difference is is learning uh and and it's not to say that other mammals don't learn or even reptiles um but the learning is not as vast the the, the potential for learning is not as vast um, when you get to elephants or you get to orcas there's of course much more learning than for lower mammals but it's still not as much as for a human.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I, what you said just a little bit ago was cool too. uh, The idea of, you know, if we don't have these movements we do as children, the technique later on isn't as good Uh, or, you you know, a defective, whatever word you want to use, right. Uh, you could probably use a few different things, but I know, um, there's been, I've had a few people on this show. There's a track coach, um, Dan Paff and then uh, Jeremy Frisch, who's really taken on a lot of the, uh, basically the idea is that there's all these fundamental movements that like track athletes would do that are very like, you know, innate and rudimentary. And, and, and a lot of times, and Jeremy was saying this, that he would see athletes who wouldn't get coached in technique at all. And then they would just learn, they would just be doing all these childlike, you know, primal movements. And then all of a sudden the technique just gets better and uh, it just wow. resonates with what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case with every single person, but I, I, I think a lot of times just going back to, you know, reinstilling the way that we're supposed to move and, you know, it, it's really complex, you know, I'm sure all the reasons, but uh, it's always cool to hear that. Cause it just, it just keeps bringing me to like, we need to move as youth and we need to do things that also take us back there every now and then i mean i have my athletes almost always doing at least some sort of crawling or crouching or rolling or something that's kind of fun and you know like something you would do when you were a kid and and you know it's good for you and people like it they like it more than uh doing kind of like more robotic um i guess you know having a warmth that's entirely like kind of robotic manufactured you know various movements to activate muscles i always i just think that's uh it's been something that's been great for in my experience and i I think it can go a long way. I I, I was also in the in the uh, topic of self sabotage. I was going to ask you too how the you, know, you talked about psychology and the mind. Like how does stress and psychology fit into that uh, in your experience?
0: Well, there's there's two um, levels of, of self sabotage. One is sort of the mechanical level, and that could be just the habits that you learn over time, unconsciously and consciously for example, sitting on chairs, a lot of people uh, growing up in our society can no longer squat on their haunches with their heels down. But if you go to, I don't know, the Philippines or you go to Guatemala in a village at least, that's how they might be eating dinner. That's how they might be playing chess or whatever it is that they're doing with their their free time. Uh, so, so there's that level of self-sabotage, you could call it sabotage, or you just call it habits that Afford certain activities and uh, and prevent us from doing other ones. Uh, the level of psychology, um, well, that's pretty complex. And <laughs> one it, one thing is, I believe we're often doing things we don't want to be doing. And you know, culturally, what we're, we're told that it's it's good to be doing these, these things. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's better to have a society where we're not doing things so often that we don't want to be doing there are some things of course that need to be done that maybe we don't you know love doing all the time and i'm not saying that we should avoid our responsibilities but i think we do need to look at society if so many people are doing things they don't want to be doing and i'm going off on a big tangent here and i don't want to
1: <laughs> another another podcast in and of itself <laughs> but it <is> interesting <laughs> it's interesting like as it relates yeah
0: so and it relates to my my days running why was i running You know, i was running because probably i had low self-esteem so it gave me some modicum of self-esteem because i was relatively good at it for a while when the other kids started beating me you know then i wasn't so good and my self-esteem dropped but i so was, then how do I keep that self-esteem high or how do I unconsciously I'm thinking. So I'm not really thinking, but I'm feeling, how do I in, improve my self-esteem? I have to beat that guy or I have to, and to beat that guy, I have to run this far, this distance and, and this, this, uh, this time. And to do that, well, I maybe have to run a thousand miles in the summer or something like that. So, um, so the, the psychology is pretty complex. Um, and and I think it it bears looking into, both on the individual and societal level.
1: It's interesting how you mentioned you know, the other running and the self esteem. I mean, it's the same for me and and uh, jumping early on. Like I remember when I was in uh, probably like fifth grade, and I was taller than the other kids. I had long arms, but like there was these beams in the classroom, and I remember I was like the only kid in the class who could jump up and touch this beam or something like that. And the other kids are like, "Whoa, look what Joel can do!" You know. And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm recognized for something like, and so, and, and so I just, you know, that was my obsession for, I mean, still now I'm still obsessed with it in many ways, you know, I've expanded how I've kind of view it all. Um, But I think that, I mean, I'll say I I do have a love. I just, I do have just a pure love for the process of human. Like if I go out and I sprint and I jump now to me, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll do it when no one's around, you know, if no one saw me, that's, you know no, no worries. Like it's just to fall in love with the process over, you know, years. But I think if you ask me, why are you doing this when I'm, you know, 14, 15, 16, I don't know. I wouldn't, I would just say, I like doing it. You know, I get a rush when I, when I jump, when I set a PR and that's great. You know, I I think that stuff is awesome, but there's always, there are always, I think other reasons sometimes for why we might be doing something that we're unaware of from, uh, uh, like you said, like being just, just being good at something, being better at something and I think it's, you know, if we have gifts, I think it's important to foster those, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly a complex, it's a complex thing. And I will say like there, that, that does take me to my next question is, which is, um, motivation because it's, it's funny you brought that up. That was my next question is motivation. Cause what if we, what do we do if we're not motivated, uh, to train? Like if you're running or doing whatever it is you're doing, uh, your, your martial arts routine or, and you're just not motivated to do it, um, What's, what are your thoughts on that? Like what, what would be a good alternative on the day? Uh, how would you approach your workout with that in mind? And, and how would you, how do you look at that whole thing of, because obviously it's a big problem, right? Like we would all be in shape. Uh, you know, there, there would be no such thing as obesity, right? If everyone was just super motivated, <laughs> uh, clearly that's not the case. And even whether it's, whether it's just general fitness or even being great at your skill and sport, it's. There's there's probably some similarities. So, what's your take on just motivation, and, and what do you do if you're not really motivated on the day?
0: I don't know. I don't know how to answer that either. <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, uh, I, I I know there's a billion dollar or multi billion dollar industry, you know, based on on motivating people. Um, myself personally, I'm much easier on myself uh, than I used to be, and I kind of like. If I don't feel like it, I sort of ask myself, well, what if I try a little bit or, or maybe I'll take a day off? Um, I actually begin my day with a little bit of bagua. And I, I wake up, I usually feel very tired and sleepy. It's, for some reason, that's how I wake up in the morning. And so I start very slowly. And as I, as I you know, start to feel a little stronger, I start to speed up a little bit. And it becomes organic. And by the end, I, I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, this is way better than coffee. In fact, it is. It really wakes me up. But without a jolt, it's just gentle and gradual. And that keeps me wanting to do it every day. I remember when I was in track, I didn't, you know, back in high school, like the alarm would go off. And I knew that, I don't know, maybe 12 hours later, I was going to be on that track. And that didn't, that was not giving me incentive to lift my head off the pillow in the morning. So, um, it goes back, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Do I really want to do it? And and sometimes, you know, maybe it's better not to. Um, You don't get rewarded for those kinds of things. You get rewarded in our culture for doing, for pushing through, for doing the right thing. The guy who, Uh, Ended the My Lai Massacre, Hugh Thompson, who trained his guns on American soldiers because he saw them chasing villagers after they had already murdered maybe 450. He was not rewarded for doing that. They they tried to get him killed for two years after that. So (laughs) I'm going off on, on strange tangents here, but I think it's important to ask on a personal level, why am I doing this or why am I not doing something? And if I don't feel like it, but I still think... It's something that I would feel better doing or I would feel better having done. I could ease into it and take a few steps and say, okay, how do I feel now? How do I feel now? How do I feel now? Do I want to stop? I spent a couple winters um, trying to cure an autoimmune disease with this crazy idea of going in cold water. And I had this rule that I had to be in uh, up to my, I had to keep submerging my head um, for 12 minutes straight, um, and and it was it was cold enough that I didn't. It's not like I wanted to jump in the water. It, it, sometimes it took me 30 minutes just to get my head under. But what what kept me going for a few months doing this was, I always felt, you know, I can I can get out any time, and I really genuinely. Gave myself permission to leave anytime. And in fact, one day it was like January 13th or something, I, I decided, oh, you know, I don't want to do it today. And in the end, I didn't cure myself of this autoimmune problem. <laughs> but, but it was a, an interesting psychological thing because I know uh, if, say, a doctor or a coach said, you have to get in there and you got to be there t- for 12 minutes a day, I wouldn't have wanted to wake up in the morning. I would have been hitting the sl- sleep button. You know, continuously.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. I I like what you said about like just getting started. Like if you're not motivated, just I like the idea of uh, I've heard this before of just just go do one up. Like make it your goal to do, you know, if you want to get fit, like just doing one pushup and it's like, "Oh, I did one," you know, and and that's not so bad. I can do some more. But I I, I say that more in the sense that I also I've been attuned to lately. And this kind of comes from, I saw a video, Paul checked it on this where like, it was like a recovery day workout and you would just do an exercise, like, I don't know, maybe like a cable chop or something. And how do I like, do I like this? Does it feel good? Like maybe you do some biofeedback after you can you know, touch your toes or just kind of see how your body responds to it. Oh, okay, cool. I, I like this. My body likes it. I'll keep doing some more of this one, you know, and just kind of picking what feels good. And what I've been doing lately, if I if I have any lack of motivation, I oftentimes just kind of go through and just feel different parts of the the sprint or just kind of like, or, or jump or just, or, or lifting whatever, you know, maybe lift and not implement in a different way or, um, or just kind of play around with my feet on PVC pipes for a while and, and just... Just do it for what it is before I get to any like hardline structure or anything like that. And by that by that time, usually I'm like, okay, let's go. Like let's, I'm I'm fired up. I'm ready to do this. Or maybe maybe I maybe I scale back the workout if it's not quite as you know not firing as hard as I would. But I like the idea of of just kind of getting started and feeling things out a little bit. I think that can help to attune one to the process more than um like like here's the meat and the potatoes and you have to do it. Although. I do think about, you know, having worked with like high level and elite athletes for a while, I I think there is something that does make those athletes elite is that they have the ability, at least for their time as an athlete to, you know, regardless of how they're feeling, like they're going to, or maybe they are just, they are just so motivated and attuned that every day is like, let's go, let's go. Like I'm excited. And I do almost, I feel like I almost see that more than I would see the other thing of, oh, I'm just going to grind through it. I'm just going to do it. Like to me, the most successful people I've worked with are people who like, every day I see them, they're pretty excited. They're pretty ready to go. Like, they they just love they just love what they do. And and I think that it takes me to thinking, too, about how your emotion proceeds. I've talked about this with um, Logan Christopher, a guest of mine. And I'm sure you get this off a variety of kind of, you know, authors who are getting out there in the psychological field. But, like, the emotion and how you feel about something kind of preceding the result you're going to get from it. And if you go into something and it's like, ah, uh, like um you know oh this is going to be you know i i don't want to do this but i have to like i think the result the way your body will respond to it will be a little bit different than it's like man i love this like man i'm grateful that i get to do this today you know man i'm grateful that i have these gifts yeah. and I don't. Know. So I, my brain just kind of spat that. Out. I don't know if I was planning to say all that, but um,
0: that's a better answer than mine. I'd, I'd take your answer. So I'm not trying to steal. I'm not uh, trying
1: to steal. You know, steal the show at all. It's just kind of like what kind of popped into my head no, no, for I, a few I, seconds.
0: I like, I like what you said. I like what you said. It's something. Yeah. If if you enjoy it, that, that helps. And I think it's. Uh, I marvel at people who are, um, you know, world class athletes who can really just keep going every day. So. I don't know what's behind that.
1: Yeah, I do think it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely been enlightening for me, but it does, it does actually you not know, going back. It does reinforce, I think, yeah, what you said, like if I, you're watching athletes across the span of seasons and oftentimes, you know, the, I, you do start to see the links I think between the emotion and energy going in each day and the results and, you know, it's, it's super Uh, multifaceted and uh, anyways I I do want to get to um the technical like like slowing down part because that's your your book (laughs) if we talk for uh you know hour and a half and we haven't got to that I definitely want to get to that so uh first uh, tell me about um uh, tell me a little bit about the background of the book that you just released and then uh, let's get into slowing things down to to run better and be be more um technically better and what we do
0: Uh, When I was um, in my 30s, I remember running down the street because I forgot something um, back in my car, I think. And it was this feeling of lightness. And I had already quit running probably 15 years before that. So it was this interesting sort of epiphany that, hmm, how come I feel like I always wanted to feel when I was a, a runner, but I never felt like that when I was a runner? Uh, and at that point, I had been doing s- martial arts and some Feldenkrais. And so um, with further exploration and teaching, I ended up with this book, Slowing Down to Run Faster. And it's it's uh, pretty much rooted in martial arts, Bagua and Tai Chi in particular, maybe a little bit of boxing, and Feldenkrais.
1: So when it comes to running techniques, just looking at running, uh, the typical would be, Hey, you know, you're man, you, you aren't, you know, doing this with your knees or your arms correctly, you know, whatever correct is to the coach, you know, whatever their model is. And we're, we're just put in these, uh, we live in these world of cues and technical models and things like that. And so what, what's your approach to running better? So that's a super broad question. But where do you, what's your starting point with, hey, I want someone to enjoy running more. I want them to you know, be able to run more effortlessly and efficiently. Where do you start?
0: I think you start with learning. They have To, to run faster, you have to learn to run faster. And, and when I say faster, I mean more efficiently. And probably most people would say more beautifully, more gracefully. Uh, but to learn to run faster, you have to know what it means to learn. And most of us don't really know that, in my estimation. So, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with culture, again, in the way that we're educated and often pushed. Um, the model that I see and have seen for some decades is you, there's some ideal format, some ideal form, and you're supposed to try to match that form. Well, that brings up a few problems. One, is it ideal for you individually? And then two is, even if it is, how are you going to match that ideal? And the way that we're acculturated and often coached is that we try to imitate the ideal. But you can't really imitate what you don't understand, don't know, don't have an awareness of in your own body. You can create a caricature of it, you know, which is what, Generally happens, but you you can't really accurately and precisely imitate it. Otherwise, if we could, we would all probably be very good runners. We'd all have really good form. And so, when I see um, these "quote unquote" simple corrections um, that coaches make, um, what I think is being taken for granted is that is not simple. Any movement that we make as humans is extraordinarily complex. If you consider, you have Roughly 630 muscles moving, 206 bones vis-a-vis roughly 230 joints. That alone, in, in all the degrees of freedom, is is so complex that any quote-unquote simple instruction or correction is going to not be simple. It's going to be complex. And then the question is, how do we how do we learn through the correction, or can we create corrections, can we use corrections in such a way that they can learn? And create more awareness of how they're running.
1: So, what are some um, movements or exercises that, like, some key staples that you would use to help people have more awareness of themselves? Uh, and and what are you? Uh, what are what is trying to be attained by doing those?
0: I think we have to consider that everybody, including world class runners, learn to run. On the ground. So what I'm, what i what I mean by that is that the fundamentals for learning occur from the time we exit the womb until uh, usually around you know five, six, seven, eight when we reach full mature gate, or maybe even later when we, when our form is finally complete. And a lot of that happens on the ground. And so um, it's very powerful to go on the ground. This is a big part of Feldenkrais and it's also part of jujitsu and judo, but they usually don't slow down very much and to explore movement with many different configurations and varying constraints on the ground so that your nervous system can start to pick up new movement patterns. You're always trying to increase novelty and introduce novelty and increase patterns in the mind. Um, So in through those explorations, you can start to fill in the gaps that maybe may have been missing that will help your running form. Now, that's very general. There's thousands of ways to do that. But that's a starting place because if you try to correct form or change it when you're already running, you're going so fast that there's very little that you can do. The nervous system can only accommodate so much novelty at one moment. One way to uh, decrease all the so-called noise, if you wanna use sort of a communications engineering uh, analogy, is you decrease the noise by slowing down dramatically and reducing um, other stimuli. And, and I find, and I'm borrowing heavily from Feldenkrais and, and internal martial arts, that, that slowing down does that. Getting on the floor does that even more. If you're standing already, you're having to deal with gravity on a much higher level. I mean, it takes an infant on average about a year before he or she can stand with some level of competence and takes even longer before he or she can walk with some level of competence. So when we're standing, just standing alone, which seems very simple, we're doing something that's neurologically very complex and took a lot of learning or even just sitting um, upright without a chair back, just to just to sit as you and I are doing right now. You know, a baby can't do that. Ha- she has to learn to do that, and she has to do a lot of trials of various movements and various configurations with different constraints in order to get there. She doesn't have a teacher. Hopefully, hopefully the parents don't get in the way. She'll learn it on her own. The constraints are gravity, the whatever kind of floor you have or she happens to be on and whatever, whatever, whatever else is in the room and her curiosity. And if there's no, as in a side note, if there's no LCD screen nearby, no, no TV, it's helpful too, because that's more, that's another distraction.
1: Sometimes I think about, (laughs) you know, you could pose the question, um, I had, uh, when my daughter was, she was two and she was kind of playing, I remember we were in Hawaii and, and, and Waikiki where there's like a little, very gradual little like beach where you can just walk very slowly and it very slowly gets deeper. And my two year olds are like walking out in the water and, and, uh, you know, I was trying to kind of show her, um, you know, like, Oh look, daddy's swimming. Like, you know, you can, you know, can you swim like daddy or try like, but I was having a conversation with a swim coach who was like, well, who, who taught you how to walk? You know, like, do you, it, at the end of the day, you know, if a child explores enough and, you know, they're going to figure it out on their own. And I think about, well, what if you, you know, what would children end up walking? Like if you, you tried to coach them like the way we coach everybody else, right? It, I feel like it would end up yeah. ca- getting kind of messed up <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I'm not to, I'm not to like, I'm not trying to like, dev- I, I think there's lots of awesome coaches out there and there's lots of different ways to improve technical abilities and things like that. I'm not saying that as soon as you coach an athlete, you're going to mess them up or anything like that. But I do think that, yeah, with, with learning, like, I think the key, and what you're getting is like, we don't want to interfere with learning. And so, you're saying that that really learning is, it's, it's uh, I, I, what would your definition be of being a good learner? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm kind of trying to think of my own definition at the same time. But what's your definition of being a good learner on both the childhood and adult stage are they one in the same really are there, are there any differences as you become an adult or what what's being a good learner mean to you in your movement practice and trying to be better
0: I think we have to define learning I, I don't think it's well understood in our culture um, and if you see how we're educated in schools and and how we're coached that's confirmation at least for me that we don't really understand what learning is um, there's an idea handed down from the Enlightenment that learning is like nurturing a a flower to grow and there's another idea which is you take a a pitcher and just fill it with water and that's kind of how (laughs) the conventional idea of learning is you just you're stuffing sausages you're filling you know I I like the first one I like the Enlightenment one handed down from I don't know three four hundred years that we tend to ignore and those those principles are really nice, and that's how you end up with a Jane Goodall or a Aretha Franklin or a um, Albert Einstein. They had the room, and they had the nurturing to grow. They weren't forced. If you forced Einstein to, I don't know, do hundred push-ups a day, I don't think he would have done it. In fact, some of his teachers despised him because he completely ignored them, um, because he just did what he wanted to do. That's a little bit extreme, um, but maybe not so bad considering what he, the legacy he left us. So I think it's important to start to question what is learning? And what I see in the athletic world and in, in the sports world and often even in the martial arts and dance world and in the academic world is a lack of learning. It's more of a, a filling the pitcher with water.
1: So by that you're by just filling the pitcher with water you're saying this just kind of putting information in regardless of how it's actually getting processed and not paying attention to the processing
0: yeah that's a nice way to to state it yeah for example um in in my book i I cited michael johnson who's he's a great runner obviously he held the world record in, in the 200 and 400 meters Uh, But he was trying to explain how Usain Bolt was biomechanically inefficient. That's trying to pour water into the pitcher. (laughs) And, you know, I think Usain Bolt, if you tried to do that, my colleague uh, John Tarr in Sweden said something very nice. He said if if you tried to correct his form, you would stop him from being who he is, which is the greatest sprinter in the world, at at least at that point, Uh, I think he retired recently
1: yeah yeah it's yeah that's an interesting anecdote too because I think a lot of elite athletes don't even really know exactly what they do that make them great like on a conscious level you know and then uh, oh yeah and so yeah and that the Usain bolt yeah exactly I mean I'm still um, you know mining out all the little nuances you know not like ever not obviously not everyone can sprint technically the same as Usain does but There's things that he does, little nuances that are just incredible and that a lot of people would say are quote unquote wrong or whatever, but it's not for him. You know, if you, if you fixed his form, quote unquote fixed, he would run slower. So it's, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of, okay, so in terms of exercises and learning how, what are some examples of, of movements or exercises that you would do to, or use to help an athlete learn better, or continue to learn or foster learning in context of better running. I know you have a lot of them in your book, uh, but if there's just a couple that you can kind of explain to really paint a picture of that learning and how it ties to running specifically, um, that would be good. That would be, I think, it'd be helpful for just getting that picture of, of what does this mean in context of athletic movement.
0: I, unfortunately, I, I don't think I can do that. Um, what I can say is that. Running appears to be a simple action, and most of what I've seen is caught of in teaching, whether it's in um, academic world or in track field it's uh, track and field it's this cause and effect kind of approach um, the The lessons that I have in the book, and that's only a minority of what are available is is not using a cause and effect approach. It's sort of taking some general motor concepts and having you play with them so that you can feel in your own body, for example, the connection between your the metatarsals in your right hand and the metatarsals in your left foot. And in between your left foot and your right hand is the whole skeleton, pretty much. And how, so you're, if we can start to feel how those things can be connected in, in, ways that we never felt before, I I think that's extremely powerful and useful, Uh, generating novelty, in other words, through constraints and different configurations.
1: Yeah, one of the, oh, sorry, did you have something more there before I, I jump in quickly sometimes, did you have anything else there before I jumped in?
0: No, no, go ahead.
1: Uh, Yeah, this was like six years ago, I remember I read The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway. And I got really up on like just awareness of, so if it was something I would be jumping and I would just have an awareness of what's my foot or ankle or calf is doing. And I would feel when I just paid attention to it, the same way Gal would talk about paying attention to like the ball or how's the ball spinning or you know what's the sound of your racket. I would feel just more pop out of my ankle. Like I would just, just by paying attention, not even by forcing anything. And so I, you know, I've, one of the things recently in porting that over to, like running and sprinting, I one of the things that Darian Barr, uh, track mentor of mine, has told me is he, in it, when accelerating, so a fast acceleration, like running a 40-yard dash, he said, um, like pronate the foot or let the foot pronate and then be done with it. So basically, let the foot pronate and then get into the next stride. And I've if I time my, you know, I put out my timer, my that timer, and I, I run a 30 meters, I find that I will run faster when I do that and not a lot of cues will help me to run fast you know like when you go and run and time yourself there's it's hard a lot of times to actually think about a you know, quote-unquote cue and then go run faster the only ones that have helped Absolutely. me really are our awareness cues and to me that's more of an awareness cue than it's actually like a do this cue because you're just you're paying attention to your foot pronating and then when it's done you know it's 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 really at the end of the day I think you know different athletes can process that at different ways maybe there's people who are more mechanical with it but for me it's just just pay attention to how your foot's pronating. And all of a sudden, you know, times are dropping a little bit. And so for me, that, (coughs) excuse me, for me, that, um, that stuff in running, like in actually sprinting, I think it's easier to do an acceleration too. Cause like you said, once you're upright and going, it's happening pretty quick. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 you know, I think there's, you know, I've, I think I have pretty good, like, you know, awareness and sensitivity of my body and what's going on. But I mean, once once it's going, it can be difficult to get to that stuff. So, uh, by by slowing down, so would you say like even just doing things in a crawl position, a lunge position, and you're just, like you said, you're feeling connections and um, like would that be like doing like a bear crawl and you're just feeling the way the bones in the hand are like meeting the ground and or like how, how does that actually work itself out in the context of just like some basic movements like a crawl or a lunge or or anything like that
0: yeah it's even more basic most of what's in the book and the lessons i do most of it not all is even more basic that you you can start on your back or on your side certain and start with tiny movements and gradually increase the the trajectory um but you you can really experiment in any configuration so for example bear crawl you can do that you can start to feel okay what if i I do this with my hand, I, what if I put my hand into a fist, what if I um, go to the second metatarsal, what if I go to the third? Even the, the pronation awareness um, exercise that you mentioned, I'm just going to call it an exercise for lack of a better word, uh, you can play with, okay, what if I pronate towards the first metatarsal, what about the second, or somewhere in between, I mean, there's a lot to, to play with, what if I don't, what if I try intentionally not to pronate, what happens? I think, uh, again, going slowing down and going the floor is a very powerful way to mix with running or more complex activities where you're going faster. And I do that myself when I do that with, with runners. You test something on the floor and then you use some of those cues to play with, to experiment with, to try to feel and become aware of when you're running. And you have to go very step-by-step. Step. There's really only you can really only pay attention fully to one thing at a time, only one. I mean, I think Julius Caesar was supposedly known to be able to dictate a letter, write a letter, camp, you know, run a, a war campaign and, and maybe make love all at the same time. But he was doing them all because he was already very good at all these things and he was sort of um, not fully attentive to any of them. And you can do that if you're already at a very high level yeah so you slowing down allows you to just step by step one little thing at a time once you're running you can use some of those cues i would just choose one and play with that and then maybe after a minute you can play with another cue and see how it ripples through your body
1: yeah there the idea of like laying down and and, and the world is swimming swimming is a little slower sport than running i mean i i know in sprinting you, your stride frequency is four steps a second or more i Actually, I, I feel bad, but I don't know what it is in, like, jogging exactly. I mean, I guess a couple less. and so, But swimming is either. swimming is like one stroke a second or slower. And so, it is slower, and which has its own ramifications with learning and things like that. And I think it's kind of cool. It's been cool for me to see contrasts and comparisons with track practice and swim practice and those types of things. Uh, but a swim coach from Arizona, and this kind of ties with what you're saying, is he, he said one of the favorite things that he had done or his athletes, said, he called them feel 50s, where... The athlete would be on their stomach and just, and he had taken, a, I think he got this idea actually from Feldenkrais courses, um, where they're lying on their stomach and they're just, they're, they're just moving their arms or legs around in a very like awareness feeling manner. And then they'd go swim a 50, like immediately come out of that in a swimming of 50. And, and so that, that just kind of, you know, I don't know what the track equivalent is necessarily. Like I, I do, I, we used to do these, um, mountain climber sprints where you'd be kind of on all fours and you'd be moving your legs back and forth and. Or like or like there's a warm up. There's a warm up series. It was called the Seagrave warm up. And I remember this back from my time at Wisconsin Lacrosse. You would and I always loved it. You would you would um do a, an exercise, like squats or you know, lateral lunges or lying scorpions, and then you'd run a forty yard acceleration. And I always enjoyed doing that because I always felt like each exercise kind of made the acceleration feel a little different. You know, sometimes better, sometimes worse. I'm sure a lot of athletes, probably most athletes who did that probably didn't even think about it, you know? Like, and probably weren't directed to, right? But I just felt like there was so much there in how you could use a a basic exercise, body weight, to feel something or, you know, engage your body a certain way and then go into the odd acceleration. I think the learning, it could be a great learning thing if you wanted it to be.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think awareness alone is very powerful. And then um, it sounds like you're and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but some of what you're describing is not is not directed awareness. Is that correct?
1: Oh, like, like you're saying the, the the doing like squats and running, like a lot of times it's people aren't directed to, uh, you might have to rephrase that for me.
0: Uh, They're directed to maybe pay attention to what they feel or maybe I'm thinking more of them. The coach who was uh, doing the the fifties. Oh, the the, feel fifties. Yeah that's maybe less directed awareness, which I think is useful. That, that At least that's how I'm mm-hmm. calling it right now. And then there's the idea of directed awareness, which is um, what I'm trying to get at in the book. And I think they're both both extremely useful. Awareness in general is, is a good thing.
1: What would more direct, so if you're just, you're feeling the water, you know, you're on your stomach, like that being under, like what would be a directed? Like if you're there's like a certain joint you're paying attention to or how does it become more directed?
0: Uh, it could be, for example, let's say well, we're, I'm going to swim a 50, but I'm going to each time I'm going to pronate my hand such that, I don't know, exaggerate the pronation in my right okay. hand, only my right hand, for example. I, I have, I'm not a very good swimmer, so I'm not, <laughs> not, a lot is coming to mind right now, but or I'm going to, I just, you just, just set one constraint and then you feel some you any place in your body so it's not when i say directed it's mainly directing the constraints Um, and then you can feel what you feel so for example you might feel your elbow doing something else you might feel your your hips moving in a certain way and that would be um, as a teacher when i'm working with individuals or in a class i'm directing their attention to some degree do you feel this do you feel this but i also give them space to feel whatever has drawn their attention too because they might something in their own body will draw their attention presumably that i didn't even think about
1: yeah it makes it seems like and this really takes me to the other speeds of things because i'm i'm just thinking oh oh, this you know this out loud like oh if i'm running you know just do this differently with this one joint but it's that's fat it's hard to you're not going to pick up as much data right when running changing i mean you probably feel something and different athletes will feel different things but you're not going to really gain the full sensory spectrum unless you're able to slow that down enough to the point where you can you can really take advantage of that and so that then you're back to standing and and or things on the ground then
0: yeah you're, you're somewhat limited if you've already played on the ground and you bring it to running that's what I find powerful but if you only do it in running uh, it's quite limited and you'll you'll there's some benefit to it but you're not going to change a lot of your motor
1: patterns got it so if you wanted to work let's just say you know you're you're trying to have awareness of the feet and you're on the ground and like i want my um you know i just want to think about what my feet are doing which like you know which metatarsal head is experiencing some force or how am i pronating or supinating or anything like that i like i like how you said too by the way like you can play with not pronating at all or like I like the idea of playing around with something that's wrong quote-unquote or inefficient <laughs> like to, to, to the idea that we should always experience something that's quote-unquote perfect you know we the, the idea of doing intentional mistakes I think plus it's kind of funny too it probably adds some humor to people's practices if you were to do that so uh, anyways like if I was interested in like foot mechanics anyway so just from a foot perspective if I'm I'm on the ground and, and doing some movements. Like, what are some movements that you would like to do to, to draw some awareness to the foot that maybe I could, you know, take into my running afterwards?
0: Um, one thing is just to use your hands to feel your your metatarsals and how, they, how the movement of your toes connects through the metatarsal up through, um, you know, the cuneiforms and navicular, the cuboid, the all the bones down there, the talus, the calcaneus, and then up the shin. And you can feel it all. actually all the way up to your rib cage. So if you, uh, and it's something I like to do myself is I'll, I'll sit with my, on the floor with my knee close to me. Let's say I'm working with my right foot. So my knee is pointing towards the ceiling and I can reach down and grab the first metatarsal joint and then just start playing with the big toe and move both up and down and around and slowly and and see what kind of response there is and go on down through the five metatarsal joints in the five toes and when you when you finish your right foot will you know my right foot feels like big foot in the left foot feels like it always felt so when in your sensory awareness uh, The map is larger suddenly and so you'll feel it being larger and when you walk around, it will feel very different. Even your hip will feel different. But that's and that's just a very simple exercise um, to increase the awareness of your own foot that has somewhat powerful ramifications. Often people don't have a lot of strength in their feet and often they don't have a lot of flexibility or maybe it's one or the other and then it gets more complex then there are other things that that one can play with
1: yeah that's that's something that i've really considered this past year the idea that even like you know i think probably working with your hands would probably be better than like a tool like a lacrosse ball or a roller but just the idea of so many people roll their feet you know with a lacrosse ball or something because they're gonna i don't know quote unquote break up the fascia or whatever they think's happening but i but i i've noticed that when doing that i'm like wow this is a good like neural wake this is a sensory wake up and and then you know, doing I'm doing some jumping or some some Olympic lifts, and it tends to feel like like it's just like what you're saying. And and I've I I think that stuff is great. Like it's it's an awareness tool. I think maybe sometimes just as much as it is a you know a release or whatever that means. So I, uh, I it's super simple, right? Just just massage your feet and then go go run and take the sensory with you. I mean, it really wouldn't get uh, simpler than that, right?
0: Yeah, you've got what two hundred thousand nerve endings at the the bottom of the sole of each foot. And they're, I don't think evolution made mistakes. They're there for a reason.
1: Yeah. I love it. Um, well, cool. Well, that's an awesome little practical piece that I think we can end on. And it's just really cool to talk with you today, Edward, about learning. Like it's just, it's, it's not just about, you know, at the end of the day, the, the run or the sprint, there's so much that goes behind what makes us human and how we learn and then how that gets outputted into our, our movement practice. And, I really enjoyed talking with you today. It was really great to hear your expertise on all this.
0: I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Joel.
1: And with that, another show has come to an end. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate you guys being on this journey with us. Uh, if you enjoy the show, what we're doing, uh, you can help us out by visiting iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, shoot us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, I would definitely help spread the word of what we're doing. Also want to give one last shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. Uh, stop by their website for not only an awesome blog, but check out their store. They're, they're constantly expanding uh, really a bust of in sports training tech. So uh, check out from group training to individual needs. Uh, they really have a wide range. So be sure to support them. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.